King's True Believers. What's up, N-Words? Josh here. So today's episode is a re-release of an earlier episode. It's actually one of our favorites, uh, JB and I, or me and JB, however that goes. It's one of our favorites, and we think it deserves a second listen, or third. It's our interview with the legendary comic artist and creator Arvo Jones. We really enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoy listening to it, too. And if you did, go ahead and tell someone directly to give it a listen, someone who you think will enjoy it. Welcome back to Views from the Back of the Class. I am your co-host, Jacoby Baldwin, and I'm here with my man, Josh. Josh, say what's up to the people. Hey, what's up, people? Man, we are glad that you guys are back. Hope you had fun with the last episode. We definitely enjoyed making it for you. Still, yes, always. even weeks later, coming down off of Endgame Buzz. I don't know if that's going away anytime soon, to be honest with you. No, I could talk about Endgame all day. Well, not really all day, but for the majority of the day, I could talk about it because... So much to talk about. That's real. <laughs> That's real. <laughs> but yeah, thank you guys for all of your so support. Many, Continued so many support. Crumbs in that movie. No, tons, <laughs> tons, tons. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about it again in the future. Oh yeah. Today we actually have a a really really special episode for you. We had an opportunity to meet really legend in the game. Yes. Uh, some of you all may know. Some of you all may not know the name Arvell Jones, but Josh and I are big proponents of making sure we can give people the flowers while they can still smell them. Uh, you've heard us shout out any number of artists and people that, that we appreciate. Um, and Mr. Jones is no different. You know, he's actually uh, one half of the duo that was responsible for creating Misty Knight. He was involved in in the creation of the character Deathlock as well. Man has been all over the map. Uh, how the kids saying, Google me, you, you need to do yourself a favor and do that. And he was gracious enough to give Josh and I some time to uh, really get into his backstory, how he got involved in the business, uh, some of his experiences in working for the big publishing houses, which you know I, I found pretty enlightening. And I think that he, he dropped quite a few gems for people who might be interested in getting involved in the industry or just people who find it fascinating like myself. So uh, I think you guys are definitely mm-hmm. in for a treat. Without a doubt. And this is one. You know, I'm kind of a little bit jealous of I wasn't able to uh, be a part of the the discussion between uh, JB and, and Mr. Jones. But this is definitely an episode, not just for our own sake. But this is definitely one where you tell a friend to tell a friend to give it a listen because it is an amazing interview. JB did a great job. And, and this is what it's about, reaching out to the fans and, and uh, myself included and, and getting content like this. It's, it's amazing. And uh, do yourself a favor. Do your friends a favor, anyone who's involved in this life. You know, we ain't chose this life. This life chose us. (laughs) Tell them them to, you know, check out this interview because it's it's some great stuff in there. It really is. Uh, So without any further ado, here is the interview. This is me, JB, and I'm here. uh, Really, it's my treat and my pleasure uh, to go ahead and introduce or reintroduce to some of you all. Pro in our industry, uh, Josh and I got a chance to uh, chop it up with this man uh, for a few minutes during uh, one of the Comic Cons, and he was gracious enough to give us some time today. You got to feel as honored and blessed as I do, Arvell Jones, giving us some time today. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Have you seen Endgame? Yes, I have. Do you have any thoughts on that one? <laughs> uh, question, right? Every a million thoughts. <laughs> I, you know, I, uh, I enjoyed it. You know, it was, uh, okay. you know, I, I, I don't know why I waited a year, uh, to not even think about figuring out how in game was going to resolve itself. And, right. uh, 
you know, and some of the questions that were being tossed in my direction, I said, I refuse to, to give it some consideration. Uh, I said, the obvious thing to me was that there was going to be some time travel involved. Right, right, right. <laughs> I said, but I know oh, they're not going to do that. It's too easy. They <laughs> do time travel. It's just too easy. Right. So I know they're right. not going to do that. So I'm not going to consider anything else. <laughs> right, right, right. I know it's, it's going to be great whatever they come up with. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was, in my opinion. Yeah. It certainly had its holes, but, you know, just from a fan's perspective, I enjoyed it. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess the reason why I asked is because your perspective would be so unique having, you know, really been involved with some of the characters who actually did appear on screen. And I thought your perspective would, would certainly be different than the average one. Um, and I really liked it. Well, I'll, I'll give you a that, that the time travel part would be so, so easy. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I grew up in, uh, in Detroit, uh, Michigan. And uh, my buddies, when I wanted to get into the industry, the guys that we used to work all the time with, try and uh, uh, get into the industry with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure in a way they all enjoyed it as well. Uh, Jim Starlin, the creator of Thanos and, you know, half the Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, it was, it was good to see his work up on the screen and, you know, and especially the, the Thanos character is a character he'd been working on even before he went to Marvel. You know, it was just a character that he'd been wanting to, uh, to fool around with and, uh, uh, that in Drax the Destroyer and he had a couple other characters that, uh, originally that were replaced by, uh, when he decided to introduce those characters, he replaced them with uh, some of the Marvel characters, uh, uh, Captain Marvel, and, you know, and later Warlock. Uh, uh, and he pretty much has been telling his cosmic odyssey for, you know, heck, maybe 50 years, you know. So to see right. <laughs> finally make it to the screen, <laughs> you know, uh, was, was great to see. Uh, yes. And then, you know, uh, and to see how much of his original concept is, was still left, you know, and some things were, you know, that he had come up with were more for comic books. And uh, it's amazing with some slight changes here and there, you know, they managed to tell, you know, kind of his story, a story he yeah. came up with, uh, you know, I guess he came up with it while he was in the Navy. You know, in the early, uh, in, you know, in the early 70s, in the late 60s, in the early 70s. And to see it actually play out on the screen to a certain degree. And, you know, we as comic artists, I'd say, and, and, and creators, we're always coming up with this fantastic stuff that I think that, uh, uh, up until a few years ago, we thought it was the exclusive preview of, uh, of the comic book industry because we just thought it was right. too expensive, you know, uh, to be turned into, uh, a movie and too complicated with too many adult themes and, and, and depth to be a, a, uh, animated movie or a TV series. And, mm-hmm. To watch it unfold like that, you know, there's still some things that, you know, that were abbreviated and some things that weren't covered uh, and a bunch of things that were changed. But to still see it happen, you know, this is like what we were talking about when we were kids, practically. You know, we were like, man, they'll never be able to do this, but wouldn't it be great if, you know, right, you sit right. there and watch with your mouth you know, open saying, man, this budget, they'd never do this because it would cost us way too much. And, uh, and to see it done and to see it executed in a way that was not only, uh, fascinating, but, you know, believable at the same time, you know, it actually, you know, man, these people are, you know, are having a real war and, and we're seeing it and it's making sense and it doesn't look hokey. You know, that's, 
uh, you know, as a comic book uh, professional and creator, you know, to see that happen is just, you know, uh, it's just stunning to me, you know, and something that you could see in your mind's eye years and years and years ago, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you could see it in your mind's eye and know and think that you'd never come to a, a place where you could actually watch it play it out on the screen. It's just, uh, uh, just, uh, truly, uh, inspiring and at the same time humbling, you know, because suddenly we, we realize that, uh, gee, you know, we can, all these stories is only going to get less expensive to do. You know, it's no right. longer the preview to just a, a comic book creator. You know, who who was looking for respect? <laughs> right now, it's being done, and, and and the funny thing about it is, there's some respect there too. So it's <laughs> it's uh, delightful, actually. This is true, and you've certainly you know had that experience as well. Uh, not necessarily with a large screen, but with being able to see Misty Knight come to life. I know you know you had uh, had mentioned that to Josh and I when we talked at, at Comic Con, but. That had to be a, a wonderful moment for you as well, just to see something that you were, you know, so instrumental in, in creating. And although it was a little bit different, seeing that come to life. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, again, that's that's a situation where, when I created the character, you know, I always thought that this could be a character that could be played out in TV, and the character wasn't such a big idea that it couldn't be a TV series. You know, mm-hmm. the character that was born in the early 70s. And, uh, you know, by the time the character was published in 75, you know, uh, attitudes to a degree had changed because I guess when I first created the character, there were no other, especially no other black female characters. Uh, mm-hmm. with, you know, with the... Uh, that kind of uh, gumption or, uh, you know, it was portrayed on screen. Uh, there were no, you know, uh, black female superheroes at all. And by the time the character was exposed by Marvel to an audience, you know, the, the black exploitation period had begun. And, uh, you know, Pam Greer and... Uh, and some of the others had, you know, already burst on the screen and, and done these type of roles, you know. And, uh, you know, heck, even the when it came up with the character originally, the $6 million man didn't exist. So, you know. So You're the, right. You know, <laughs> You're absolutely right. Uh, yeah. Uh, combining the, the, the mechanics of a robotic arm and all that kind of stuff, you know, that didn't happen for a couple of years. And, uh uh, you know, when I pitched it to them, all that was just starting to happen all at once. And, uh, and it made the character, uh, viable and feasible to me that it could be done. But, uh, of course, uh, with the advent of something like a Netflix that you could focus on her being, you know, a real person, you know, she could, you know, deal with real situations and not have to, uh, uh, pussyfoot around some of the uh the issues of the day you know they can just come right out and talk about it uh because back when i started yet right with comics code so dealing with drugs and uh you know there were certain things that you couldn't show and other things you know that you were gambling with and if you brought it up to the code whether the code would allow it to happen uh was also also a concern not to mention the fact that uh in those early days, you know, the editors looked at comics as being comics for adult uh, Caucasian males. And right. they didn't see the value in creating anything other than that. So uh, so it was a push to make it happen. It just so happened that I had a good ally and a friend and somebody that w- was willing to take a chance and, uh, and Tony Isabella. And, uh, you know, we... You know, we had a few little differences, but in the end of the day, we created something that, uh, you know, I'm happy to say did make it to television. You know, so I kind of always saw that as something that w- that could happen. It's just a matter of whether the values and the uh, uh, the attitudes 
towards uh, uh, a female superhero and a black female superhero at that could uh, uh, would ever be given the kind of value and attention that that I thought it deserved. And I have to say that, you know, in the 90s or, you know, or early 2000s when Winter Soldier came out and, you know, also he had the, the, uh, the robotic arm and, and, you know, and I'm going, gee whiz, they're just, they're just, you know, dissecting my character and, you know, and, you know, and they're doing, uh, uh, Monica Rambo and, and other black female superhero characters are appearing. Uh, and I said, she, I guess she'll never get a shot or never get a recognition that she was the mm-hmm. first one, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, you know, instead she would just be a stepping stone that nobody would, and for a long time, nobody really acknowledged it, you know, but it was like, man, Storm is the first black, uh, female superhero. And she came six right. months later, you know, and, and right. partially because of my, uh, uh, you know, my bugging everybody about why don't we have one? It doesn't make sense. Why is this? Is this a real world? Why? Are we, why? You know, why do all these comics have to have to be only? You know, the only people that can be superheroes are her uh, Caucasians, and mm-hmm. uh, so that was a, uh, you know, I guess one of several crusades that you know that I launched. Probably the only one that actually actually uh saw uh, uh you know a, a uh a a real uh exposure to the rest of the world that that I created I mean I cr- created dozens and dozens of characters maybe some of them a little too radical uh okay. for the uh uh for the industry at the time for the industry in general and, you know, I was never told no. I was just, uh, uh, it was either put on the back, uh, the back shelf or in some cases Marvel bought the idea and then just, uh, never let me touch it again. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, maybe some of that was my fault because once I'd sold the concept or came up with the idea and pitched it to them and they said, okay. Uh, that I, I let up a little bit and moved on to something else or circumstances changed. But, uh, uh, it was, it was good to see this happen, you know, and it was good to see it, you know, show up and, you know, you know, like today with the characters and waiting for so long to exist and then to come up with a character that, uh, and an actress that could play a role. Uh, and almost out of my vision of what it, what I, what I and certainly Tony saw, uh, mm-hmm. happening. Yeah. She was amazing. And what, what I enjoy the most about seeing things like that, like we see Misty on the, on, you know, the Netflix shows. And for someone who may not have been familiar with her, this character exists in television form, but there's all of this rich history that you can go back on and, you know, re-experience really for a whole new generation and that's how her legacy and you know by extension certainly yours continues to inspire people you know long long after her her, her actual creation which i think is is an awesome thing you know it's really funny that you know i only got to draw her for like uh three or four panels in one one issue before i was uh moved off the book and on to other projects <laughs> you know it's a little funny that, yeah. uh, you know, I put a lot of work into trying to get the character to exist. And then I put a lot of work into, uh, putting, you know, bringing other characters. And, uh, but I actually put very little time into actually drawing or working on any stories outside of her original, uh, uh, you know, the pitch, uh, pitch material, her Bible, or, you know, uh, right. that I produced. I, you know, I, I didn't get a chance to actually touch the character, and haven't touched the character since. I don't know if Marvel, I want to ask Marvel, could I? <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, they said, uh, yeah, we can talk about it, you know, and, I, and uh, <laughs> I guess my frustration became, well, I guess I'll just come up with something else, you know, and uh, or come up with other characters, and 
So, mm-hmm. you know, that's uh, uh, that's kind of where it's, it's remained. And uh, and I haven't really pushed it uh, to present okay. the character again. But, you know, I, I'm always thinking about it, you know, or, or coming up with a character that's similar. I got some grand ideas on that that hopefully one day I'll get a chance to explore. That's awesome. Grand ideas is is a, a really good way of putting that because what makes me very curious. So you're from Detroit. Now, I'm from Chicago, not far away. I'm familiar with Detroit. And if there's one thing I can say about the folk there, this is a no-nonsense town. We, they not about the bull. <laughs> now, I was not around in the 70s, but I imagine that it was even more so at the time. So how do you go from that environment to actually viewing you know what, I'm going to go ahead and be a creative. I'm going to work in this industry and make that a, vi- a viable career option. Well, you know, as a as a kid, I just, you know, you have to understand some of the motivating factors at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of us, Starlin, uh, Al Milgram, Rich Buckler, uh, Greg Thiexton, uh Mike Vosberg, uh, I'm naming people that kind of grew, that I, I kind of broke into the industry with, uh, oh. that, uh, you know, went on to be productive creators, you know, uh, Terry Austin, uh, uh, even Tom Warsikowski, you know, we all, you know, looked at uh, comics as something, you know, and, and back then, certainly comics were, anomaly. It was uh, it was uh, something that uh, you know kids read, and you couldn't build a real career from it, you know, or you couldn't really make any money, you know. And, and right. in Detroit, uh, if you weren't in the automotive business, then you weren't you weren't uh, seriously trying to make any real money. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, you know, I, I I was blessed with some parents that uh, uh, that let me pursue these dreams, and they couldn't see it either. You know, I don't think anybody could except this little group that was around me, and some of the uh, people that we met along the way, and and those that didn't get in the industry, you know, didn't get in the industry because in a way they looked at it as only a hobby, and we we just sought to take what we were doing as a hobby and say, man, this would be a cool way to really make money and and have fun while doing it. And I don't think I ever took on a job in which, um, I mean, maybe that's me being lazy, but I never took on a job <laughs> that was a job job for me. It was always passion involved in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I faced a lot of obstacles, you know, growing up. But, you know, went to school and, you know, had to put up with bullies trying to take my uh, – you know, I carried the comics and, you know, bullies cornered me one day and said, uh, you know, wh- why are you always carrying these comic books, you know, around? You know, were you some kind of nerd or something? You know, it wasn't nerds back then. It was other words. But, uh, yeah, right. and, I, you know, I was like, uh, uh, you know, because I like them. And, you know, one of them, you know, had the nerve of, of asking me that and, and pointedly pointing out, uh, uh, to the stack of comics that I, you know, had and saying, why are you carrying these around as he slapped them to the ground? And, uh, one of them happened to be, uh, the first appearance of the Black Panther. And, uh, so I just <laughs> kind of picked it up and explained to them who the Black Panther was. And it turned, uh, the, the, you know, the bully patrol into the, uh, into, uh, comic fans, you know, because <laughs> they were like, what? <laughs> Something that they weren't expected. Yeah, you know, he's the richest man in the world in a technologically advanced civilization that nobody knows about. What do you tell? What kind of BS you talking about? Yeah, he calls himself the Black Panther. Cool. You know what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know <laughs> that was yeah, that was such a mind blowing concept that, that Stanley yeah, and Jack came later. up with. You know that stopped the police and just stopped me from getting beat up. <laughs> <laughs> And he was a hero and it in went real life, from a, too. Yeah. <laughs> went from a situation where they were coming at me looking for lunch money, and instead uh, 
they were coming at me looking for the next episode of, of you know, of uh, the Fantastic Four. And, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, I went from a position of uh, not being in any control to to having some measure of control because they wanted what I had. I said, just go on and buy the book yourself. You don't even have to <laughs> take right. it from me, you know. <laughs> but in the beginning, it was like they, they kind of came up to me and said, uh, you know, would, okay, Jones, what you got to this week? And I, <laughs> man, I buy them from the store down the street and around the corner, okay? <laughs> right. You know. Hey, you got to you to get it. Want, go if ahead. If you want to see this issue, you bring me my other one back. You you stole from me last week. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, okay, don't mess with me, man. Just give me this book back. <laughs> that is a late, right? Because they want they don't want to cut the supply off. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Even though they could have went and bought them themselves, but they, you know. <laughs> or you know, right. I assume they could buy them themselves. I don't know. Maybe they were, you know, harassing me because they couldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. But uh, yeah, but uh, no, you know, it, it, it became people that were my nemesis that I I dreaded to my friends. <laughs> so that is that is amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now going from from a situation like that and and it's awesome to have had that kind of base in it and with you having you know this kind of crew that you all kind of came into the industry uh, i know i was reading a, a quote uh can you talk about how how challenging that was even though you did this that even allow for this to happen um mm-hmm. it's surely not an overnight success no it wasn't we we all worked hard you know, was first it was meeting everybody. We all kind of met in a haphazard kind of way, you know, at bookstores and at uh, you know, the first or the second or the third uh, uh, comic book conventions that were really being held in the United States were being held in Detroit, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even the way we found out about it were all was crazy. I, I picked up a flyer at a used bookstore. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> somebody told me, you know, you know, to have, uh, you know, uh, that the way they found out is they were just, you know, hanging out downtown and they saw these uh, 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 these guys going into this, uh, uh, you know, into this hotel and coming out with this stack of comic books and you know they had an interest in it or you know they just happened to walk in. I mean these are I mean, we met him in very random circumstances. Maybe it was a God thing happening here. Uh, and then inside, we see each other with portfolios and say, hey, what kind of stuff are you doing? And and we sort of formed a, a group after looking at each other's work and trying to learn from one another because there's no other way to learn this field, you know, unless mm-hmm. you were living in New York and you could go up to Marvel or D.C., you know, uh, these once-a-year conventions – with one or two professionals that would come to the uh come to the show was all we had as a, yeah. a way of being in touch. And we just got determined. We decided Rich Buckler was the first one. He decided I will not be denied. This is what I want to do. And I'm gonna mm-hmm. learn everything there is to know about drawing, everything there is to know about storytelling, everything there is to know about anything that will get me in a situation where I could just do this because this is my love and my passion. And we all kind of got affected by that same bug. And, you know, uh, Starlin, when he came out of the Navy, he was kind of drawing, he was trying to figure out what his next move was going to be. I'm out of the Navy now and, you know, trying to find a job and, you know, hate all of this and hate my environment. But, you know, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what it is. And then he runs into us and we're all passionate about being in this business. And then we say to him, you know, you could probably make money just doing this. And he goes, what? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> oh, get out of town. That's just not possible. Oh, yeah, man. You know, our buddy uh, uh, Rich Buckler just moved up there, man. What? You know, I think he met Rich, you know, here in Detroit. And then, you know, a few weeks later, Rich was in New York. And next thing I know, you know, Starlin and Milgram and all these other guys were coming to my my, my parents' house and, you know, and we were going to their houses, and every week we were kind of meeting up, you know, somewhere at a bookstore or at each other's house, showing each other what we did that week. And then we kind of formed sort of almost like a production line, 
you know, Tom Orsakowski was lettering everybody's work and Aubrey Bradford, Terry Austin, and, you know, and a couple of other people were inking everybody's work and the rest of us were penciling and those people that weren't penciling were writing. And so we kind of started, you know, working on our own little comics, but, but it was, we, we didn't understand. We were molding ourselves to be in that production environment. And, mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, it was sort of just, making a decision that we were going to do it and weren't going to be denied. And uh, and then decided we wanted to learn everything there was about it. And uh, and that was the attitude we took. We, we, you know, they had no choice. We were going to be in the industry. There was no stopping us. So, and we were called the, the Detroit mob because of it, because every, every other month there was one of us coming to New York showing our, our portfolios and, it just got to a point by the time Terry Austin and Mike uh, Natzer got into the industry, they were like, uh, you know, uh, so, hey, I want to introduce you to to, uh, to Mike Nasser. And he says, he's from Detroit, too? I said, yeah. Okay, put him in that corner, you know. My brother came up, you know, one summer, you know, uh, after taking classes and going to art school. He just came up for the summer to hang out with his big brother. And uh, I said, come on, we're going to go to Marvel, and i got to pick up some work and stuff like that. He went in there and told the guys, hey, you know, yeah, that's my brother over there. And, you know, he does comics, and I'm just here here for the summer. He said, well, what do you do? He says, ah, you know, I, you know I'm trying to be a graphic designer and everything. He said, he was looking at uh, some of the letterers lettering the stuff there in the, uh, in the bullpen, and he's asking a few questions, and, uh, and he says, oh, you know, you're working with a speedball number two or whatever. He said, yeah. Oh, you have to file it down. Oh, okay. He said, yeah, have you done some lettering? He said, I've done calligraphy. He said, well, can you do this? He said, next thing I know, he's doing a book. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> I said, how the heck, you know, you, you know, you were doing some lettering for me uh, back in Detroit, and we were doing some fanzine publishing together, and he was doing paste-up work, and I looked up, he's working in the bullpen. <laughs> that is amazing for the summer <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so yeah, what, what with things like that uh what would you say is your favorite part of working in the industry that had to be a pretty cool moment too to you know be able to have your brother put on the same way <laughs> yeah well you know it was in a way in a way i was a little bit like you know Man, how come everything comes so easy for you? You just walk in a room. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I've been struggling for four years, and you just walk in the door. <laughs> you know, but it, it was the fact that we'd warmed down. You know, it was to the point where, you know, we don't know what's in the water in Detroit, but if they're from Detroit, hire them. <laughs> right, right. There was about 15 of us, so, you know, uh, as the uh, – I mean, uh, we had, uh, just a, you know, a bunch of people that, you know, just kind of came in. We all knew one another through doing fanzines and conventions and stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we all kind of ushered each other in. Couldn't get in directly. You know, everybody did assistant work for everybody else. You know, uh, uh, when Starling got, uh, when Starling and, and, uh, Orzakowski got there, they were doing lettering and, uh, and assistant work for Rich. And then mm-hmm. when Starling got his book, he brought uh, Al Milgram in. Once Al Milgram got settled and everything, me and Keith Pollard decided to come up. And they said, ah, we'll put you up. We'll put you on the couch, man. <laughs> <laughs> come up and stay as, as long as you need to to get work, man. We're, we'll give you some of the strategies you need to do. You know, So it was at a point when... You know, later on, near the tail end of the group, you know, it was like easy. Just go in there and say you're from Detroit. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I'm part of the Detroit mob. Let me yeah. in. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and you had everybody walking around, you know, uh, saying, hey, did you see uh, uh, Mike Nasser's work yet, man? Uh, no. Well, two more feet. Hey, you look at Mike Nasser's work? He's in town. Uh, the guy I was telling you about is here. <laughs> right. Okay, give him some work. Okay. But, uh, no, that was all uh, very cool. But I guess the big lesson, you know, I would tell, you know, uh, your listeners, you know, is that, uh, um, yeah, I guess it really doesn't matter which field it is. If you decide to focus on it, you decide to just go after it and focus on it. Uh, You know, 
I think that's really, you know, you know, really the way to go. You know, if you're passionate about it, you're all into it, no matter what it is. You're not going to be denied at some point or another. And this was such a narrow field um, for individuals. And, and these days, it's crazy. I was telling somebody the other day that asked me, you know, hey, I'm interested in filmmaking. How do I get in? And I said, you know, you just have to go after it. I said, these days, you've got a lot more tools than I did when I decided to go into television. You know, uh, you know, when I went to television, you know, video camera was, you know, over a thousand bucks. And, uh, right before that, it was only film. And the editing was crazy. It took, you know, I mean, you actually literally had to shoot something, take it to a lab, pay to have it, you know, first you have to buy the film, take it to the lab, and you only get so many feet. And then when you, when you get back from the lab, you have to cut it up and put it together. Literally with scotch tape. In it. <laughs> uh-huh. It's a serious deal right here, and you need specialized equipment for everything. You know, to mm-hmm. you know, even to look at it, you need a you know projector and all that stuff. These days, you know, I mean, they can just pick up a you know a, a mobile phone and edit it right there on their phone, and then distribution is not a problem. Just throw it up on YouTube, and then you want to promote it. Well, you know, build yourself a fan base. And go on uh, Facebook and Instagram and get yourself a fan base and and then let them know when your product is out there and they'll support you. you, can, you know. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, it still works for sure, but it's nothing like what you know what you all had to endure um, before. It's just it's just the tools weren't there. You're right. You know, the, the tools weren't there. You had to spend a lot of money to do to even get a quarter of the results that we would get. Yes. And uh, yes. so it's really about how good is your idea? How good is your your your, your creative mind? How, you know, how much have you read? How much have you experienced? You know, right. what is what is what's the message you're trying to get out? What's going to make it meaningful for your audience to want to come back and visit you again and again? And then uh and then how do you shape that into something? That that's going to be uh, real. I think it's much easier these days to do that. Back then, a pencil and a sheet of paper is the only tools we had. You know, <laughs> to, right? To get these stories out. You know, uh, we you know. So, and who was thinking special effects like the ones we got in the Avengers Endgame? You know, who could even think right. that way? So, right. Yeah. So, well, for my money, there's there's something yeah. to that. You know, not having the all of the tools that are available now, it really does kind of force the creativity out of you, uh, just out of necessity, right? I want this thing to exist. How do I make it happen? It, it, I think it would test your resolve as well because, like you said, now pretty much all of the tools you need are, are on the device that you're carrying anyway. So you can right. kind of do it as an afterthought. Then... If you wanted this, there was some real work and sacrifice that had to be put into it. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I would say today the challenge is just different. You've got to, because anybody and everybody can do it. Doesn't mean anybody and everybody should do it. And it also doesn't mean that, uh, that everybody and anybody has the type of idea that everybody can get behind. So you have to yeah. even believe in yourself even more here because you got to come up with something that's better than all this other stuff that's coming out, or at least as good as, you know. Right. And who wants to shoot for as good as? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> if you're not playing to win, you're playing yeah. to lose. Right, exactly. So, um, you know, I mean, that's what I, you know, I told the guy you know, the other day, and, and even uh, that, you know, if this is what you want to do, just go for it. You know, just yeah. decide that you're going to be dedicated and be all about it. Just like a pro athlete would be about getting in the NBA. <laughs> Those Absolutely. guys that got in there could not be denied. You know, they just showed such incredible skill, you know, mm-hmm. that and ball handling skills and, you know, the you know, no matter how short or how tall, they knew how, you know, they practiced their game to the point where they just couldn't be denied. You know, you can – Put them up against anybody, and they could show their powers. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So, who were um, 
some of the influences that you had? What what kind of uh, helped you develop your perspective and your style? Well, I, I like to talk about inspirations and, and encouragement that I that I, okay. that I got first. And For sure. those happen to be the people that I was influenced by, you know. Um, okay. I uh, I sent a fan drawing off to Marvel one time and addressed the letter to Jack Kirby and wrote him a letter. And uh, and Jack, one day, I put my phone number on it and all that stuff. I didn't really expect him to call me or anything. But one day, mm-hmm. my father picks up the phone. It was a landline. Like, then there were no cell phones. And right. <laughs> <laughs> and we all shared the line. And my dad says, hey, there's some guy named Jack on the phone to speak to you. You know, calling from California. So what? You know, and all of this is like, you know, you know, long distance calls cost money. So, and then going, and so for somebody to call you long distance was a big deal, you know. And he calls me up and tells me he liked, enjoyed the work that I sent him. He, he really got a kick out of it and that he thought I should wow. consider it as a career. <laughs> wow. Wow. <Yeah. laughs> Jack King Kirby tells you, that your work, you know, that he thinks that, you know, if I keep at it, that I, I can make it a career, then I'm going to try to make it a career. <laughs> I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> that so, is amazing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was that was a big influence, especially for a black kid out of, you know, out of Detroit, Michigan, you know, so far away sure. from everything. And Jack had just moved to Thousand Oaks, California. So, uh, so you know, I uh, – so he was a big influence, uh, but I was influenced by all of the what I would consider the greats back then. You know, I mean, uh, and as I met my friends, they were influenced by people that I took on influence by. You know, because you know we have these arguments about well, Steve Ditko versus Jack Kirby versus mm-hmm. Joe Kubert versus uh, Will Eisner. You know. Terms of storytelling and art and anatomy and all that stuff, and somebody would interject Gil Kane and and Carmen, you know, and so everybody started looking at everybody else's work, you know, Wally Wood and you know and all this stuff, you know, we we just start looking at each other's work and uh, and so I was influenced by uh, quite a few of the you know more realistic or science fiction kind of uh, or even superheroic uh, uh, artists as well who I was influenced by. And if they were any kind of good, I was all into them. You know, again, that's you awesome. know, you know, that's, you know, if you're going to be a student of it, be a student of it, you know, know it, you know. Yeah. I mean, I started buying anatomy books like crazy and, you know, books on perspective. I mean, I must have, you know, maybe 20 different art books. You know, just on anatomy, how to draw the human head and stuff like that. I, I take uh, uh, a Saturday and, and evening classes on on drawing the figure. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you know. I just was passionate. Nobody had to tell me, and that's maybe the key. Nobody had to tell me, "Hey, it's time for you to go and study." You know, right? I'm like, you know, taking these classes in in high school. And in junior high school, you know, when I was, you know, started taking them when I was 12 years old, you know, <laughs> that's where I had my fun at, you know, drawing and, you know, coming up with ideas and doing, uh, taking classes on creative storytelling and all of that. That's, uh, that's where I began with. Uh, and because nobody had to tell me, you know, what to do, nobody could test me. <laughs> nobody could test me. You know, that's what it uh, takes. That is yeah. what that 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 inner drive and that you know determination for sure. Yeah, the thing that I didn't, you know, you know, as much studying and all that stuff I did, I got into comics, and John Ramirez's comment to me that was, it. Uh, was uh, uh, he looked at my work and said, "Man, when you learn how to draw, you're going to be a really good artist." I'm working on Iron Man right now, and he tells me when I learn how to draw. <laughs> Because, you know, what it was was I could draw pretty well, 
but I couldn't draw mm-hmm. the path really well. You know? Okay. <laughs> you okay. Know, so I wasn't up to pro speed, you know, but I was yes. still getting the work done because they needed somebody to get the work done, you know. So, you know, I could tell a story and I could do that quickly. And then when it came to tightening the work up, I, you know, I would have to labor over it. And uh, um, it's just me not being used to it. And uh, Right. So I, you know, tried to take some shortcuts to make that happen, and sometimes the anatomy went all wacky. Or some of the ideas I do a layout, and then before I get the layout partially done, John, John Report and the production manager at the time would go, "Is that it?" I said, "Yeah, John, I just did the rough." He said, "That's fine, give it to me." <laughs> <laughs> the book comes out next keep week. Schedule. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm like, wait, <laughs> but John, I'm still working out. Why are you still in my office? Go somewhere. Get some more work done. I need more pages. That would start because John would go, uh, when he first gave me an assignment, he, I would say, hey, John, when do you need it? He said, what do you mean when do I need it? I needed it yesterday. And I go, okay, John. Uh, I'm getting ready to walk out of the door. And I said, but, John, when do you really need it? He said, I just told you I needed it yesterday. If you really wanted the truth, I should have had it two weeks ago. <laughs> Yikes! And then I'm going. Okay, well, when would you like it from me, John? And he said, "Why are you still talking to me? I just told you I needed it two weeks ago. Why are you still here?" <laughs> Make it happen. <laughs> I'm going. Okay, uh, I'm leaving his office. Going. He wants 22 pages yesterday. <laughs> right. Hold all my calls. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Those were my influences. <laughs> that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's those experiences how they can kind of shape who you eventually became. Right. Uh, well, my early career was uh, I'm I was gonna say my early career was marked with uh with, with having to have to hit these impossible deadlines and mm-hmm. being too nervous and not confident enough yet uh, uh, and not having enough experience doing it. I was like, I kind of understood what I needed to do, but, I, you know, still questioning myself, still wanting to stop and redraw it, rework it, and, you know, draw mm-hmm. it loosely and then sort of build it up from that because that's how I learned to draw, you know, as opposed to now where, you know, I can visualize it in my head and then put it down on paper, you know, almost like projecting it to the page. That is a, a, a skill within itself. I can't imagine what it takes to get to that point other than, you know, just sheer repetition like you like you kind of mentioned. Right. I can't draw a straight line, so <laughs> all of that is fascinating to me, just the, the, the concept of being able to do that. Oh yeah. Well, when people say that to me, I say, "Sure, you can. Just pick up a uh, pick up a straight edge." <laughs> Fair enough. And, uh, <laughs> it's not right. necessarily. It's not that you I can't mean, do it. You need the yeah. tool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. By having the tool too. Makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say is your most Fulfilling piece of work or your favorite piece of work? I know you've had a lot, and that's that's kind of a broad statement. Hmm. Gee, I might have to get back to you on that. I've done a lot of pieces that I enjoy doing. Some of them okay. I sold for money and went, wait, I really don't want to sell that to you. <laughs> this is too cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there have been pieces that I've done that are in pencil that I loved, and then when it came back inked, I went, oh, oh, no. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, not the same. Yeah, it wasn't. You know, it didn't work out in the production process mainly because maybe there was a, a inker me and the inker didn't gel, or our skill level mm-hmm. wasn't at the same point. Or uh, uh, I never say that they they would take a piece in the direction that I wasn't imagining it to go in. Sometimes, you know, so. Right. And, um, but I don't know if I have a favorite piece. You know, I've done a lot of stuff that I've been proud of. I've done a lot mm-hmm. of stuff that, uh, you know, at the time when you're working on it, 
you know, you're trying to get it done, and then when you go back and look at it later, you go, huh, I could have done this better, and I could have done that better, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the time frame-wise. But, uh, you know, I've had some some uh, some pretty good achievements even uh, outside the comic book industry that I was pretty proud of at the time. You know, I yes. worked on a, a animated hot dog called Super K-Dog for a company called Kowalski Sausage here in Detroit. And okay. it was the first character animated cartoon that was done. It, it came it came uh, about two months before the Listerine bottle started uh, doing the Tarzan jungle action in a in a TV commercial. Uh, <laughs> wow! <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, I had to talk to this ad agency and this client into the idea. Of doing it as a 3D piece, and uh, I had to figure out how to do it and keep the animation costs really low because working on you know computer time right now they used to charge you by the by the half hour, and you know mm. and rendering time costs a lot, and I had to find a lot of shortcuts to make that happen. Right. Uh, and uh, you know this was like maybe four years before Toy Story. It was an animated hot dog and an animated hot dog uh, as a superhero, and the family that the animated hot dog was was helping. And that family consisted of a dinner plate, a barbecue pit, and a lunch bag. The lunch bag being the kid, uh, huh. the dinner plate being the woman, and and the barbecue pit being the man. <laughs> you know, as a family. <laughs> and super now, is there, is there a way? <laughs> I was going to say, is there a way for people to still see that work? You know what? Is it out there uh, anywhere? I don't know if it is out there anywhere, but now that you said that, maybe I'll put it up someplace. You know, I'll just stick it up. Uh, uh, Yeah, maybe I'll stick it up and and send you a link or something. It was crazy. Okay. I got to find something else. Got to find a way to get it off of my Betamax machine. (laughs) Broadcast (laughs) Betamax. And oh boy. digitized it. And, uh, you know, I might have a sample reel somewhere. Let me look. I have to look. Okay. Maybe I got it on a CD or a DVD. I mean, that's how long ago it was. I mean, there were no CDs or DVDs when we did this work. This this work was done on uh, on these broadcast Betamax uh, cassettes that, you know, are maybe, gee, how big are they? They're about the size of a... Of a of a tablet or a magazine, you know, about as thick as a uh, a catalog or something, you know, as a big, <laughs> thick catalog. I, I can't even find the words how to describe it. Half the stuff doesn't exist anymore. I started to say Sears catalog. There's no such thing. Anyhow, you, can get, you know, a hundred times more space in, 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 in such a compact, it's all digitized, like you mentioned. Right. right. It's all digitized, so. This is just uh, maybe a piece almost lost in time. I know I got a copy of it somewhere, but I got to find something to play it on and some way to transfer it to if I can't find, uh, you know. I kind of remember doing a a, uh, a digital transfer. I don't have a bright idea. Maybe I should save this work. It looks so primitive now, you know. I have no idea. In my mind's eye, I know how how I remember it. Uh, And at the time, there had been nothing like it. And uh, the ad agency fought me every step of the way because they wanted me to work on an animated piece and hand animated mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And I said, no, I can do it this way. Just give me a chance. And they kind of fought me on it. And they decided to show it to the client and see what they said. And the client loved the idea. So they were kind of forced into it. So they were kind of fighting me the whole way. Right. <laughs> and I ran right. into all kinds of problems, you know, getting it done. But, but we managed to get it done. It was I was quite proud of that piece for a minute, you know. Uh, and, you know, like I said, did did quite a bit of crazy things that I was proud of. Uh, um, That's pretty cool. Yeah. What's uh What's inspiring you now? Well, you know, I'm looking at everything and just seeing it, seeing it. Uh, manifest itself on television and everything. I guess 
you know, I'm at a point where, you know, all those ideas that I came up with in the past, I want to wipe all that away and do some new stuff. And, uh, but things are innovating so quickly. And, hey, I'm an old man now, you know. It's almost like I'm inspired by what I'm seeing everybody else doing. And uh, sometimes, you you know, you sit there and you want to rewrite. That was a good movie, but it needed this, this, and this. You know, I'm I'm like almost a critic more than, (laughs) and I'm not a a, a negative critic as much as I just want to improve stuff, you know, take a second look at it, even though I know if I was in the middle of the production environment, uh, I might be faced with the same challenges because when you look at this stuff and you're not considering budget and you're not considering timelines and you're not considering right. milestones that you have to hit, there's certain uh, – and personalities you got to deal with. You can't always get a perfect project. But I'm, I'm, you know, right. I'm inspired by seeing something like uh, Avengers Endgame and going, wow, this is what happens when it all comes together perfectly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they may not feel that way, but that's the way it looks to me. <laughs> so, I if I could do anything, if I could do anything, it would be to work on a project like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. Who knows? You know, right. it, it it's certainly possible. Right. <laughs> so, speaking of future projects, I know you mm-hmm. have some some things cooking uh, that you'd like to share with people. Well, I got a project that's coming out uh, sometime in July, um, which I guess they're going to make the announcement. By the time, hopefully, you hear this, the announcement will have been made. Um, okay. This is a project actually I did about 10 years ago, and uh, but it's just now seeing the light of day. I got a, a call from a, a PR person that worked at a radio station, not a radio a record company. Record company. Wow. <laughs> uh Right. And one that doesn't exist anymore, uh, who had a a, a West Coast hip hop artist, um, who had whose first uh, mixtape or CD he sold a hundred thousand copies out of the back of his truck, <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, his name is uh, he goes by the name of Lazarus, and he uh, had come up with this uh, this concept. For his premier uh, CD with the record company uh, called Reign of the Underdog, which is a, a semi-autobiographical um, science fiction story set in the future. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, uh, at the time, I thought it was a pretty unique idea what he'd come up with. And, you know, it has some underlying story elements and some story elements that are pretty true to what happened in his life. But then, you know, some of it's been comic booked up and extremely, you know, put to an extreme in terms of visuals. But a lot of it happened, you know. So when people look at the book, they're going to want to know, was that the real part right there? Is this real? Is this actually happening? (laughs) But there's a lot of it is semi-autobiographical, so uh, a lot of what happens in the story and the plot lines, things that happen to him. But uh, uh, and I just thought the way he put it together as a futuristic uh, uh, sci-fi adventure uh, was worthy of of uh, of trying to realize. And uh I hadn't heard worked with a you know, hip hop artist before who for the most part they think they're composers and writers and uh mm-hmm. you know, they're they're artists in general. And they you know uh and we we probably didn't define each other in the same way starting out. But uh uh you know, I think the end result of uh of the project Looks looks really good for the time that it was done, and I don't think it looks bad even now. I think that it holds up pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, yeah, the name of the book is Reign of the Underdog, and uh, there's a uh, the publisher's 
I'm just waiting on them to make the announcement on what they, you know. Uh, but it's supposed to be out in July. And I think we're going to preview it at the, uh, at the San Diego Comic Con this year. So I'm kind of proud of that. Uh, and then I'm working on, uh, you know, just uh, uh, helped uh, uh, Mike Rob with a Kickstarter, not Mike Rob, I'm sorry, Mike Grell with a Kickstarter project. Um, uh, where he's completing his Maggie the Cat, uh, uh, features. And, uh, I'm also, uh, working with, well, I guess there's a couple other people I'm getting, now I'm getting gunshot because I don't know how many, how many of these announcements I should make pre, <laughs> uh, pre announcement wise. So I'm going to leave it right there. I'm going to leave it right there. So okay. Get okay. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. We don't, yeah. we don't want to have any, uh, any particular issues. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure, you know, with the PR campaign and everything going and and by the time this airs, this will probably be in the first announcements, but it won't be I you know, it won't right. be you know, so far ahead that uh, that I'll get in trouble. And then okay. as, as as other things develop, I'll, I'll I'll bring those up. We got a couple of projects that I'm pretty excited about. They're working on both in film and uh We've got animated projects we're um we're working out right now that hopefully we can start to talk about before the year is out and uh and then I got a big huge movie project and I can't wait to talk to everybody about it. I just can't stand it anymore. I gotta <laughs> I can hear it in your voice. <laughs> so uh and then, you know, I got some projects that I originally pitched to Marvel that, you know, for one reason or another, never saw the light of day that uh, I've been reworking. And uh, they're going to see the light of day uh, with, you know, with some updates and some changes that uh, I know it, I know they went away. They went pretty well without all the regime changes and the politics that was happening at Marvel. I think they would have. They would have found their way in print, but since uh, since they haven't, and I'm still here, I think it's time for right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. If not you, then who? Right. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Well, Mr. Jones, I thank you thoroughly, thoroughly. Like I don't even have the vocabulary to really express how much I appreciate. Uh, you you giving us this time. Man, that was a great interview. I hope you guys enjoyed that too, because that was that was great. I just want to give a say thank you because I wasn't able to uh, to be on there, unfortunately. Adulting sucks sometimes, but you know I just want to say thank you, Mister <laughs> Mister Jones, for for taking out the time to uh, speak with us to be a part of the podcast. Um, look out for those new projects. Thank you for for sharing those stories. I mean, I know I enjoyed it as a listener this time. Um, I think um, you know what Josh has, has said. It, it really does sum it up, man. It's it's. I had a great time doing it. Um, I'm incredibly appreciative of uh, the time that we were given. You know, he, he certainly didn't have to do that. And I think I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was definitely inspired. I hope that you all Very learned some so. things and you know, feel the same inspiration that I did. And, and if so, if not, you know, always holler at us o- online. We, we love to hear feedback from you all, but I would definitely recommend, you know, doing a deep dive and uh, hopefully we'll get an opportunity to do some more things like this, but yes. uh, above all, man, just make sure that, you know, when, when people are doing things or, or, or creating things that you're enjoying and that you appreciate, make sure you let them know that. You know, it, it really does mean a lot. I'm I'm awestruck, you know, <laughs> about this, Mr. Arvell Jones. You know, friend of the views from the back of the class podcast. You know, that's, you know, I'm gonna repeat myself a little bit, which I do from time to time. You guys, you guys know, but uh, that'd be all right. Yeah, um, definitely tell a friend or a friend of a friend to check out this episode because we can't emphasize enough. Um, how appreciative we are for it. And we want to make sure that, you know, we share this experience with, with the fans. But once again, thank you, Mr. Jones. You know, we can't, can't shut it down until we give you guys some homework. 
Right. You guys thought you were just getting an interview. <laughs> I have for you guys is uh, staying kind of with the theme uh, of tonight. Just again, celebrating those uh, the architects of our culture. Y'all know I was repping, you know, for Milestone Media uh, sometime back anyway. But what I would recommend you guys take a look at if you can get your hands on it and it won't be easy. But I think it's worth um, it's worth a read is uh, Cobalt. It's a character out of Milestone Media um, created by the aforementioned Arvell Jones and John Rosen. It's pretty dope. Pretty dope book. Uh, artwork is pretty cool, too. I dig the story because although it's uh, like a superhero story, it's, it's very grounded. Uh, Cobalt is kind of a, a Nightwing-esque character in that he's a, a martial artist as opposed to, you know, flying around the earth and picking up buildings and stuff. It's it's superhero, but it's, it's very grounded. <laughs> so I would I would definitely tell you guys, um, check that one out. Cobalt uh, issues one through four. I'm not sure if it's been put together in trade form or not, but it's definitely worth a read. So that's what I would have for you guys for this week. Check them out. Once again, we would like to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode, a special episode. Further thanks once again to Mr. Arville Jones. We appreciate your time. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Joining us today. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at views from the back of the class underscore pod. Find us on, on Twitter at the other inward. You can email us at viewspod at gmail.com or you can call or text us at 312 521 Well, y'all, until next time, class dismissed. Cut the check.